Welcome to this episode of the Upfront Podcast. As always, I am your host, Nina Mueller, and this is the place where you get your dose of upfront and honest conversations with people from all around the world. Enjoy the show. My guest today is Raoul Krauthausen. He lives in Berlin in Germany, is a very well-known activist and author that advocates for the inclusion of disabled people, basing his work on his own life and experience, because Raoul was born with osteogenesis imperfecta, and he is therefore using a wheelchair. Raoul is a published author of several books about inclusion, disability, and activism, with his latest book being Whomever Wants Inclusion Finds a Way, Whomever Doesn't Want It Will Find Excuses. Raoul and I are talking about his work as an activist, what parents should consider teaching their kids about people with disabilities, and how we as adults can learn to reflect on our own behavior, and how we can unlearn prejudicial thinking patterns. Once again, we will be hearing about the issue of people making decisions about a community that they are not part of, without including or hearing any people from the community to base these decisions on. Since Raul is a highly sought-after activist and public speaker, we unfortunately had to keep this conversation short. But do keep checking back in for more conversations in the future. Hi, Raul. Thank you so much for being here. Hi. So please tell me a bit about yourself. Um, my name is Raul. I am an activist fighting for inclusion and the rights of people with disabilities in Germany. One would think that inclusion and mutual respect should be taught from a young age. In your opinion, why is it that adults can oftentimes be much less inclusive than kids are? Because they never learned to, to be in contact together with people with disabilities, for example. And uh, the older we get the harder it is for us to to um, convince ourselves that people who are not like us um, are also interesting persons and might be uh, uh, good friends. But, you know, what I'm asking myself sometimes, uh, like, I'm uh, very often invited in to talk about these topics, and to answer those questions and to introduce myself. But how how would you say, uh, what is the difference between adults and kids, why they behave different? I think because preconceived notions, um, either kids are less um, prejudicial, I think, uh, because they just see the person for how they are as a person instead of external factors, uh, for example. Um, and I do think that um, adults are often much more formed already, um, whereas kids are more open to all kinds of different people without But preconceived kids are very, very curious, and mm. sometimes their curiosity can also hurt sure. or be kind of awkward in a moment. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's also very important how we as adults uh, react in these situations. Like when we teach our kids that you are not allowed to stare uh, to someone with a disability, um, maybe kids also learn that disability or having a disability is something um, 
something offensive or something to to be afraid about mm-hmm. and that's that's the wrong lesson we teach them right so maybe we can also um tell them that we understand their curiosity but there might be situations where it can hurt someone when you stare all the time and that you wouldn't like to be stared uh, um from someone else so how would you feel in these situations um just to to make the kids think about their behaviors and that needs that we as adults also reflect our own behaviors yeah and i think um with kids it's probably it's either being taught by their parents uh, that something is to be categorized maybe as good or bad or whatever it is. And I think as adults with much more ability to self-reflect, we can also, you know, overcome and rethink um, stereotypes, for example, that maybe in society are still accepted or whatever you want to call it. Um, but yeah, I think as, as adults, we do have the obligation really to, speak up and um yeah teach uh, the younger generation especially yeah so in your line of work as an activist what are you most passionate about and what do you feel is the most critical of topics if you could name one or a few um that do need the most attention and increased awareness um in the disability community uh we are saying nothing about us without us so there are a lot of projects and innovations happening or decisions being made by non-disabled people who decide what's good or bad for someone with a disability. And that's wrong. It's just wrong mm-hmm. to to have non-disabled people decide about the daily lives of uh, people with disabilities. So when we say nothing about us without us, uh we really fight for being invited and uh, to participate in the decision making process and um when we talk about new laws when we talk about accessibility about innovation of wheelchairs or hearing aids or whatever uh it's very important to participate disabled people from the beginning and in the end in the decision making what has been done and what not Mm-hmm. And there is a lot of shit out there invented by non-disabled people. I mean, when we talk about the wheelchair I'm using, the people who invented this wheelchair never sat in it. <laughs> and so um, you see from the first sight what will be the first things that break because the inventor of this wheelchair uh, never had uh, a... Um, was in it more than one hour. In my daily routine using this wheelchair, I always have the same critical things that break. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I would have invented this wheelchair, for example, the the um, the spotlights of my wheelchair would have been on a different place because these are the things that always break. Mm. It's like on a bike, yeah, you have a bike and the spotlight, um, you always forget the spotlight of your bike. And when it turns dark, <laughs> you forgot to uh, charge the batteries or you, you, you forget forgot uh, to take the spotlights with you. 
And mm. the same is with my wheelchair. They are installed, uh, fixed on my wheelchair, but when the, the ways are very narrow, uh, sometimes they break when, when I touch a wall because they are wrong place on my wheelchair. Right. Wrong. Yeah, that's a very good point. I think um, representation really does matter and not only on a political level, but um, it's interesting that you bring this up because, for example, in very benign industries such as the beauty industry, for example, you always have or very oftentimes you do have a group that is testing a product that this never happened to like wheelchairs um, and yeah, other products for disabled people. That happens, but the feedback is not uh, not being used. Mm. Um, so uh, you're always invited to to say, "Oh, yeah, that, that's a good product," but when you when you say critics, when when you say, "Yeah, it's not working on this and that point," you always get the answer, "Oh, thanks for the feedback, but unfortunately, we don't have any money anymore. Uh, maybe next time." And this next time never happens. Mm. So rather following a capitalistic ideology instead of an inclusive one. Well, even in this capitalistic ideology, it would be cheaper to um, invite people with disabilities at the beginning mm -hmm. and not in the end of the process of development. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's uh, kind of surprising, really, to be honest. Um But I feel like that is very much often the case where inclusion and representation has become sort of a slogan for hobby activists, if you want to call it that, but it's not really applied in real life. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. A question that I sometimes ask myself, is it worth investing so much of one's limited time to something that might potentially never come to fruition? So when you, in your activist daily life, Do you ever feel like you're kind of at a, a limit where you can't do more and you just feel sort of hopeless? Being an activist, fighting for your own rights, uh, you, you never can say, okay, work is done mm -hmm. because uh, there is no firearm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you just can, you can't stop working because everything is uh, connected with, with your uh, daily discrimination Uh, you experience, like when you leave work and the elevator of the train station is broken, um, even in your spare time, you are an activist because you need to find a solution. And um, that's something we sometimes forget when we talk about activism. There's a difference between maybe climate activism, yeah, where you can say, okay, I fought for, for saving the climate Uh, and for eight hours, that's enough. And then now I go home. But mm. when you're fighting for uh, for feminism or for uh, um, the rights of people with disabilities, there is no stop. And that, of course, leads to burnout sooner or later when you don't uh, get the, the time to recharge yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of uh, people with disabilities, do you think it is mainly discrimination that is the main issue or is it really accessibility in everyday life? 
What I love about the uh, English language is that there's there sometimes are words in German we don't have. Mm. Um, for example, afterthought. People with disabilities are an afterthought. In, in lawmaking processes or in building houses or inventing or developing products or services, uh, people with disabilities are always an afterthought. Um, and suddenly they, they show up and tell you, yeah, but it's not working what you invented. <laughs> and then everyone is shocked. It feels like to be ignored uh, in, in all these situations. People with disabilities are not um, seen as customers, as valuable customers, as consumers, as people who have ideas, who bring up innovation. Um, and we tend to forget that a lot of innovations we are using have been originally invented for disabled people, like Alexa or Kindle or Siri. These technologies or the electric toothbrush are all inventions being made for disabled people in the, at the beginning. And when they got mainstream, these products got good. Um, before that, mm. they were always kind of rubbish, shitty technology uh, nobody wanted to use. Sounds a lot like um, the funding and effort that goes into research for different kinds of um, illnesses, for example, like Parkinson's and ALS. And and the more rare something is, the less it is researched, uh, which is really, really sad and a sad testimony, I think. For and, but there are a few journey. companies who, who see this, like Apple. Um, mm -hmm. Apple is used for a lot of uh, examples, but um, Apple really tries to develop products which are accessible from the beginning. Mm. And they don't do this because they are uh, a, a charity organization. They do this because they see that it's a big target group. 10% of our societies uh, have a disability. And if we take them serious and we see them as customers and consumers, we can build better products for everyone. Yes, absolutely. And I think our ultimate goal in pretty much anything should be a more inclusive society because everybody's going to feel better in it. Ultimately. And sooner or later, we all get a disability, to be honest. Yeah. So many activist movements really should be addressed and implemented and their pleas on a political level. And yet it does seem like it's mainly society that speaks about different movements and pleas. What can we do to get to a political level for what is important to all of us, really? I think we all have to, uh, at first, check in our surroundings and neighborhoods and friendships and colleagues uh, and talk about the issues that people with disabilities are facing, like being ignored and not being hired. Um, or when you when you send your, your child to the kindergarten and your child is non-disabled, um, why don't you fight for the rights that your child has the possibility to, to make friends with disabled children in the kindergarten? And why don't you go to the chef or boss of the kindergarten and, and talk about that? Um, that you want that your child uh, grows up in, in a diverse, diverse um, uh, surrounding of other children with different abilities or um, 
different uh, types of, of um, minorities they are. And mm-hmm. if, when we as a majority don't talk about this, that we are also missing something out when we ignore some groups in our societies, then it will always be a fight of the minorities. And that has to change. And mm-hmm. only majorities can change politics. So when you want that your child grows up in a diverse community, it might be better not to vote for the conservative party in the future. Mm-hmm. So everyone can do something. But do you think we have to start at a small level, so to speak, in our everyday I, life? I think there's, there's no start or end or good or bad, or first or tenth step. And um, we have to do everything at the same time. Mm. And everyone has to do or can do what he or she can do uh, uh, regarding the resources they have in terms of time, uh, uh, knowledge, money, whatever, power. So there's no wrong or right. I feel like oftentimes when an environmental, societal, political, or other important topic is brought up amongst other-minded people, so to speak, I hear that, you know, frustration doesn't lead to anything, or why don't you just go and join a political party? And really, the issue at hand is once again swept under the rug and is not talked about, even amongst, like, friends or family. How do you react to, like, signs of adversity or to ableism in your everyday life? Or what could allies do to react um, appropriately? Well, the first thing everyone can do is trust disabled people when they talk about discrimination. Don't um, don't ignore them. Uh, don't talk uh, um, above their heads. Um, trust them when they say, I have been discriminated in this or that situation. And listen. That's the most important thing. Listen. And don't speak for them. That's maybe the first step everyone can do. And you ask why I'm not joining a party. Um, because I'm too impatient. Um, I'm, I'm, I feel better being an activist than being a politician, knowing that only in politics you can change things in societies that really last. So when you implement a law, this law really lasts for a long time, longer than fighting in my street uh, for my own rights. Mm-hmm. How do you personally react to ableism? Um, you know, I hear that uh, colloquially, not amongst my friends, otherwise they wouldn't be my friends, to be honest. But I hear that amongst people, I don't know, on the train or wherever, really, colloquially and casually uh, being uttered um, in social circles where people are being discriminating um, of disabled people. How do you think is a good way to react to that? Because I never really know what can I say in terms of educating them long term that this is not okay and, and so on. How would you react I think it's um, there's no easy answer. Um, I would react the same way, like when I see uh, if, if if a man is treating a woman the wrong way. Uh, mm-hmm. So I at first I would check: Does the woman need help? 
And if yes, I ask her if she needs help. And if she says no, she can cope the situation alone. Um, I trust her. Mm -hmm. um, so it's very uh, common, even when we talk about people with disabilities, that someone stands up and says, yeah, you're not allowed to say this and that, and and to, to police someone. Uh, and that can also be very paternalistic uh, regarding to the person with a disability who might have done this on her, his or herself um, mm -hmm. without your help. And so be aware, check if he or she needs help, ask if you can help them, and if not, respect this answer. Mm, absolutely. That's what you meant when you said trust them, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I meant um, more in situations where there is no disabled person, but people are jokingly making fun of disabled people. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I don't think uh, it depends on who it is. If if the person is only a, is already a grown up, maybe you can't change their minds anymore. Mm -hmm. And if the person is a, a young person, um, maybe you can talk with him or her about um, hurting someone uh, unintentionally. Um, like when you say, "Du bist doch behindert," as a lot of teenagers tend to say, mm -hmm. um, you you can teach them and tell them, I don't care what you're talking to your friends, but I just want you to know that there might be situations where this can hurt someone really bad. Mm -hmm. And now you know this, and the next time when you say this word, you are responsible for their reactions. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's just a joke between friends, and I don't care. Mm -hmm. But if you hurt someone, then you are responsible for this pain. Exactly. So for our listeners that might not be aware, uh, we are talking about, you know, slurs being used as jokes, so to speak. Um, yeah, but, but you can't for, for, um, forbid them to use these words. Yeah, but this Because being misused this as... Yeah, as a, as a, a way of discriminating against people yeah. and making fun of people, I think that's the wrong way because the that's, word itself is not a bad thing, you know. That's also true, mm -hmm. but I mean, if the person is young, and young people are not always nice to each other, and I I I don't think that's okay. But to be honest, I and you, we have been the same. And that is maybe some kind of differentiation between adults and kids. Um, and they, they use slur languages just to, to differentiate their language from the language of, of the adults and parents. So there, there's also some kind of uh, reason why they are talking in this hurtful way, but maybe with the wrong words. And You can teach them about the wrong words, but you can't forbid them their language. Mm. Yeah, interestingly, I personally have um, experienced and observed really that in specifically Central Europe, where people are not English speakers, the way that they uh, refer to disability and actually make fun of it sometimes is completely different to English speaking countries that I personally like amongst people that I personally know um, and I think that there's 
this sort of stigma if I say, oh, you really shouldn't be saying that because that's ableist, um, then German-speaking, French-speaking people, especially in Central Europe, they're often um, negating that with, oh, that's just American political correctness. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, American people are also very sexist in their language. Mm. Uh, at pop music, there's a lot of sexism involved. Oh, and yeah, sure. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not sure if there's a country more vogue than the other. Mm. Yeah. I feel like it has to do less maybe with nations, but with language as well. Yeah, I think I, when you are not a native speaker in English, mm -hmm. you don't get these feelings when someone is using the wrong word. But if it's your 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 mother's tongue, you know that some words can hurt more than others. Absolutely. How can listeners be better allies and or activists if they want to do so? I read a book about it. Um, don't overthink too much. Start doing it, because the longer that you think about if you should become an activist or not, the more reasons you will find to do to not to do it. And so just start and learn by doing. Well, thank you so much for being on, Raul. I know uh, you're short on time, but thank you so much for being on. Uh, it was really good to speak to you. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Upfront Podcast. If you haven't already, give us a follow and join in the conversation on Instagram and Facebook at the Upfront Podcast. Take care and see you next time. Mm -hmm.